This week we have another installment in our occasional leadership series, where we hand the mic to leaders at Scotiabank to interview experts on an issue that resonates with them. And today that issue is economic resilience for newcomers to Canada. Hosting the conversation will be Dan Reese. Dan is the group head of Canadian banking at Scotiabank. He'll be speaking with Claudia Hepburn, CEO of Windmill Microlending. Windmill is a charity that provides low-interest loans to help newcomers obtain Canadian accreditation to work in their field. Dan and Claudia are also taking part in the upcoming Scotiarize Newcomer Summit, where the bank is bringing together leading community voices addressing newcomer settlement in Canada to better understand the barriers newcomers are facing, supports they may need, and what more can be done to help people new to Canada. Today, you'll hear Dan and Claudia talk about what newcomers to Canada need to be successful, the role employment and housing play, some surprising stats on accreditation, and much more. I'm Stephen Maurice, and this is Perspectives. Now, here's Dan Reese in conversation with Claudia Hepburn. Claudia, thank you very much for joining me today. I know we've talked a couple of times, but to see you here in the studio in person, it's great. So thank you for coming. Thanks so much for having me, Dan. It's great to be here. And I know we're going to have a bit of a two-way conversation here, but before we get started, just know right off the top, and maybe this is partly why you've agreed to join, you know, I think you know it's important to me personally, as well as to the bank writ large, but the economic resilience for newcomers is both a, an ongoing conversation, but it's also vital to the success of the country. So with that, let me dive right in. Great. What do you think is necessary to create the right opportunities for newcomers? And specifically in your role as the leader of Windmill, what do you see as Windmill's role in that success? So as you know, Canada is the lucky recipient of many thousands of newcomers each year. In fact, today we have the highest percentage of new Canadians who are Canadians, with 23% of Canada's population being newcomers to Canada or immigrants. And many of those immigrants are highly skilled. So what do they need to be successful? They need to be able to hit the ground running as much as possible. And that means they need to have the language skills, the education education, the accreditation, and the access to capital that they need to be able to solve our labor market problems that we have in Canada. So that means they need to understand financial literacy. They need to be able to have access to credit. They need to be able to have the time to get reaccredited in their field if they come in with an accredited profession. And they need to have the mentorship and the professional resources around them to help them with the soft skills, with the interview skills, with the allyship that's necessary to get jobs in Canada. And Windmill plays a big role in all of that. Can you just give us the quick synopsis on Windmill's role and how you see being a big player? Yeah, Windmill is a national charity that offers affordable loans and wraparound supports to help newcomers put their skills to work in Canada. So we offer very low interest loans to newcomers who need a Canadian diploma, Canadian piece of paper, or the time to study. So we make loans of up to $15,000 to help people put their skills to work in Canada. So many of our clients are internationally trained healthcare professionals or engineers or IT professionals who just need to get that Canadian piece of paper that will allow them to get a job in Canada. So when I think about newcomers to Canada and the kinds of clients that Windmill would have, I have an impression in my mind, but for our listeners, can you give an example perhaps where you've found these individuals come to your organization looking for advice and just sort of bring that to life for us? Yeah, of course. One of my favorite client stories is a client that I recruited myself. It was the year before the pandemic started and I was in Calgary and had just had breakfast with my board chair and was taking an Uber to my office in Calgary. 
And I got into the Uber and the Uber driver had a sunny disposition and introduced himself and we started chatting and he was a newcomer to Canada. So I asked him about his life before he came and he told me that he'd come from Sudan as a refugee because he said, oh, you know, Claudia, you Canadians don't understand how lucky you are that when you post stuff on social media, you can be safe. He said, I posted stuff on social media about our dictator and my life was in danger. And I'm so lucky that the Canadian government accepted me and my family as a refugee. And I feel so blessed to be here today with my four daughters. And now I have a newborn son. I said, oh, that sounds so stressful. And he said, oh, I'm so lucky to be here. And I said, well, what did you do in Sudan before you came here? He said, well, I was a dental surgeon. He said, I had multiple dental surgery practices. And I said, well, have you heard about windmill loans? Because maybe we could help you become a dentist again in Canada. And he said, what? You provide affordable loans for refugees? And I said, yes, and you're driving me to my office. Why don't you come up and apply for a loan? And he immediately canceled his next ride and said, I've got all my papers in the back of the car. This is my lucky day. I'm going to apply for a loan and become a dentist again in Canada. And then all across Canada, we have in emergency rooms, in hospitals, in old age care homes, we have doctors and nurses and medical technologists who are helping through the pandemic and are helping every day to keep our healthcare system alive because they were able to get recertified and put their skills to work in Canada. Mm -hmm. Sometimes my understanding is the loan you will provide is associated with the cost of writing the exam. That's right. Studying for and actually writing the exam. That's right. right. It can be prep courses. It can be tools or a laptop. It can be transportation to the exam. And it can be money to pay for the cost of living while you're studying. Because, for instance, some of these exams have a 50% failure rate. And we know and we coach our clients, don't be driving that Uber right up until the weekend before the exam. You need to carve out the time and borrow the money that you need so that you can study enough to pass the exams. And I know we're going to trade questions. So rather than me ask you the others that are on my mind, why don't I pass the ball to you? Go ahead. Yeah. So how do you see the role of banks and corporations in Canada helping newcomers? I think many of the organizations in Canada have a role to play yours, obviously. Banks, of course, and I'll speak to that specifically. I think the private sector in general has a direct role to play, but so too does it in influencing all three levels of government in terms of the kinds of support they provide. Obviously, providing financial aid is a key part of businesses' contribution to healthy economies, organizations like yours and otherwise. But we're also major employers, and so making it as easy as possible for newcomers to find employment at our organization, or as you mentioned, find access to credit that gives them some of those early starting points so that they can borrow some money often in order to then move along the sort of the accumulation phase of finding an apartment and putting their name on that lease. Sometimes you need a credit history to do that. Almost always you do. And also trying to get them to a place where they can get a means of getting a telephone. And these are the kinds of things, bank accounts, telephones, rental agreements, where banks have a big role to play, including in influencing how some of the rating agencies provide credit and score newcomers where they don't have previous credit history. So, you know, the bank has been, I'm very proud to say, I think in the early stages of COVID, leaned in and launched a Scotia Rise, $500 million 10-year commitment to support economic resilience, broadly speaking, which includes as part of that commitment, 
working to make integration for newcomers easier. I think we're in year three of that program now. Yeah, it's really interesting to see how complementary nonprofit organizations are with big institutions like banks, because we know that immigrants come with many skills, education, and work experience, but often they have some gaps in what they bring to Canada. And that might be in their financial literacy or in their credit score. And by having banks and nonprofit organizations work together to provide financial literacy training and access to credit, we may be able to provide credit at different points in that newcomer's journey and then be able to help that newcomer build their credit score. And then suddenly they've got access to a whole lot more financial products that the bank has to offer and that they can use to continue to build their financial security. Mm-hmm. And I think in our case, as with I think all the banks, we're generally speaking universal providers, which does mean that there are certain pockets or parts of even the newcomer space where we're just not local enough or nimble enough or adaptable enough to be able to provide that kind of early credit, early advice, when in fact we might be a little farther along the continuum. And that's why I think it's a big space, right, that windmill fails. And to perhaps be blunt about it, new Canadians represent new employee opportunities for banks, new customers for banks. But more than that, our values-based tilt is firmly in the direction of wanting to make sure that the country is as healthy economically and otherwise as possible. So, you know, a stable, healthy Canada is good for all of the businesses and all the banks here. And I think part of our obligation is to make sure that the long-term health of that is invested in on a daily basis, not when a crisis emerges. So I I want to ask you a question here. So one of the things that as a bank, we struggle with sometimes is ensuring that our customers fully understand the advice that's being provided. And sometimes we do that in the written form, and sometimes it's in conversations like this. And sometimes we do hear that newcomers are struggling with financial literacy as a category. In your experience and in your role, can you give us some examples how you hear about that and how people describe challenges at gaining access to understanding what banks are providing. And let's sort of meander through that financial literacy space a little bit together. Yeah. Well, research suggests that when newcomers come to Canada, they often, not in every case, but they often have lower levels of financial literacy than other Canadians do. Now, what does that mean? So I think that there are a number of terms that become commonplace when you're used to banking in Canada that are not necessarily commonplace in other parts of the world. So as a lending organization, we help our clients understand what is a credit score and why is that important to you in Canada? Because many newcomers haven't experienced or worked with that before. What is interest? What is principal? What is collateral? What does a variable rate versus a fixed rate of interest mean? And how does that play out? What does that mean in practice when you've borrowed money and have to repay it over the term of a loan? So we teach practically through experience financial literacy by putting somebody through the application process, explaining the way the loan works, and then helping people practice repaying the loan on a monthly basis, understanding that that's being drawn automatically out of their bank account on a monthly basis, the certain amount that is agreed upon. And then helping them understand the importance of that credit score and why having a high credit score is going to help them with all kinds of different things when they're a Canadian and living here. And how by making those monthly payments in a timely fashion and not missing any, that's going to positively impact the score. So where we might set up a term loan, for example, with a customer, that requires a regular payment, whereas a credit card 
there's a minimum payment associated. People do sometimes get tripped up over that, right? Because Absolutely. one, the bank takes the first example, the other, the customer has to contribute in order to maintain their. So are there situations like that that are fairly fundamental or elemental that newcomers struggle with because those are new conditions for them? Is there an example you can think of? Yeah, well, the way it works at Windmill is that when our clients apply for a loan, they have a session with one of our client success coaches, and the client success coach will ask them questions about what their knowledge is to assess their financial literacy. Sometimes they work through a client's budget to get a sense of how well does this newcomer understand what their revenues are each month and what their expenses are going to be each month. And then if they need a little bit more help with understanding those things, we recommend a financial literacy money management module that Prosper Canada, another wonderful charity, has developed and Windmill has adapted. And then we feel that our clients are well prepared to take on the loan. Now, sometimes things go wrong. You know, people sometimes expect to pass an exam. They don't set aside enough time to study. The exam goes sideways, or maybe they have a family member back home who gets ill or passes away, and they suddenly have have unexpected expenses that impact their ability to pay that loan on a regular basis. And we teach them the importance of communicating regularly with the lender to let them know if things are not going well, if they need to have their loan adjusted. And banks aren't always in a position to be able to make changes like that quickly. But as a client-focused charity, we're really interested in seeing our clients be successful with their learning plans and tripling their incomes and putting their skills to work in Canada. We repeat to our clients that tell us in advance, then we can restructure and we'll help you be successful. But if you don't communicate, it's going to impact your credit score. It's not going to go well for you. This is going to have all kinds of repercussions. And I think just the financial practice of setting aside a savings pool makes sense regardless of your age and stage and your circumstances, right? And in, in the way in which sometimes banks provide advice, they refer to that as a rainy day fund or a side fund or an emergency fund. Some of these terms don't translate that well, even English to English, let alone, what do you mean by I need to have a rainy day fund, right? So I think trying to make our language as well as the terms as accessible as possible in a way that isn't also demeaning, I think, right? So many new Canadians have taken on so much risk to come here in many respects, are so fortunate to be here in their own mind, but they're also extremely proud and very resilient in their own right. And so having the communication around what's involved and required, it needs to be at a level that is accessible, but also in a level that's inviting as opposed to intimidating. That's a great point. So often, I think, we Canadians, we assume that our newcomers are so lucky to come to Canada. Everybody wants to come to Canada. It's a great place to live. They must be so excited. But we often forget that many of our skilled immigrants were affluent, upper-middle-class, upwardly mobile, successful people in their home country. They didn't come to Canada to get stuck in long-term poverty. They came here to build better lives. And often it's a shock how expensive things are, how quickly their savings are drained, and how steep the learning curve is for those things. So having very clear communications around these things and friendly mentors who can lend an ear and translate when necessary and connect the cultural ways of communicating in different ways can be super helpful. Mm -hmm. And so is there anything that you think we should be doing on behalf of 
the private sector or from the space where you participate in order to sort of create a more healthy, vibrant employment environment. Yeah, we've just completed a series of interviews with immigration sector leaders and newcomers themselves across Canada and sought their perspectives on these things. And one of the things we heard repeatedly is that we've really, as a society, so that's government, regulators, and all of us who care about these things have got to try and reduce the barriers to a skilled employment. So that means reducing the length of time it takes to get reaccredited to work in the field, figuring out how can we make it cost less for newcomers to get reaccredited to work in their field, because we have such a dramatic shortage of skilled healthcare professionals, for instance. And yet, the OECD stats that just came out showed that more than 60% of internationally trained doctors and nurses living in Canada are not working in their field. Why? Because it takes too long, it's too expensive, and it's too risky for them to put the years of time and the tens of thousands of dollars into the practice of getting reaccredited. Now, some provinces, including Ontario, have taken steps to shorten that and to make the reaccreditation easier, but I think we've got a long way to go for many professions. That's a staggering statistic, particularly given the challenges with that sector at the moment it's in terms shocking, of labor shortage. It? Can we talk about what seems to be a particularly unique challenge, which is women as newcomers, sometimes or often with children, and the expectation and the challenge, I think, on the subject of income and dual employment finding employment. In your experience, we've done quite a bit of work with regards to supporting women-founded businesses or women-led businesses. But we do recognize that particularly in some newcomer populations, the role of women is different in the employment category. Is there a particular set of ideas or recommendations you would have with regards to women inclusion in the workplace or in communities? It's a as great new, question. You know, I, I appreciate your raising this. It's a serious consideration because there's recent research that came out that showed that there's a bigger gap between Canadian-born women and the wages that they're earning in their field versus internationally trained women immigrants who've come. And there's a 20% gap between those who are Canadian-born and those that are immigrated. So we know that that's a challenge. I'm not sure that the things we need to be doing to help women as opposed to men are any different. I think it comes down to we need to explain things clearly, financial literacy. We need to make women know that they can have power over their own earnings and help them feel confident that they can go out and get reaccredited and work in their field. We need to make sure that they have mentorship and allyship and have access to those jobs when they are going to look at for work. But we experienced at Windmill during the pandemic a sudden and dramatic drop in women coming to us as clients looking for a loan. I remember hearing that. And it was no surprise when we thought about it that when schools were closed, when daycares were closed, mothers were not coming to apply for loans. The dads were. But the good news is about that is that our numbers for women applying as clients has shot up this year since all that regularized again. And I think as an employer ourselves, you know, including for those that are newcomers, it's important to have workplace flexibility. Yes. Location, hours, and frankly, the way in which people go about doing work. Obviously, COVID shone a very bright spotlight on the work from home dynamic and the possible return to the office dynamic. And I think I would presume that would be more prominent in the newcomer space than for those who've been in Canada for a longer time, meaning a premium placed on flexibility and a premium placed on stable employment as opposed to 
part-time and so on, given the importance of benefits and healthcare for families. I feel like I've been asking you a lot of questions, so maybe I'll give you a chance to ask me anything that's on your mind. Thank you. Dan, as much as employment is critical, so is housing. What are your thoughts on how companies and institutes can support newcomers with housing? Yeah, look, our view has been for a long time, including as it relates to newcomers, that the Canadians, whether they've just arrived or whether they've been here for a long time, have a great deal of interest in becoming homeowners. Not everybody wants to own a home, but a lot do certainly imagine that as part of their probable future. And I think the rise and the rapid rise in the price of homes up until recently really has put that far out of reach for a lot of Canadians, particularly for newcomers. And I, I think our motivation as a bank has been to influence as much as we can government policy with regards to how you make savings programs available, including for newcomers, as well as just removing some of the red tape involved in building more housing supply and in locations and at price points that make it accessible to the full spectrum of Canadians, not just those who can afford or are able to own a single dwelling. And so our interest in supporting the growth of housing, I think, is public, longstanding. And I think we recognize the importance of creating situations where families can also gain access to quality rental opportunity. It is extremely expensive to put a down payment on a home. And so having a good home to rent or a good apartment to rent in a location that's close to work and close to school and accessible to healthcare is part of, I think, our obligation in the private sector is to make those kinds of dwellings available. And so we would play a big role in influencing the commercial and corporate real estate development community to build what we would call housing stock that is both suited for rental purposes as well as for home ownership. So we're anxious about the price of homes. We think that's not great for the long-term health and resilience of the Canadian economy or for newcomers. And I think you know many of the provinces have really stepped up their efforts to create more opportunities for housing supply. Obviously, with interest rates having gone up so substantially in the last six months, even though the price of houses is down, just the cost of carrying a mortgage has gone up substantially. So we're anxiously awaiting additional support and relief from the government. And we see ourselves as playing a big role in continuing also to educate Canadians and newcomers that while interest rates are higher now than they were, they're still very low from a long run average standpoint. And so the feedback that we receive on many occasions from newcomers, Claudia, is that we often don't fully recognize how many people live in the home and have jobs in the home. And so when we think about a borrower applying for a mortgage, we, I think, at the bank need to widen our aperture to consider the total cash flow that the household brings in because so many multi-generational families live at the same address, right? And they're moving as a cohort often from one place to the next. So I think you know housing is more complicated now than it was six months ago. And I think the government recognizes that concurrent with its ambitious immigration target, it needs probably to have a more ambitious national policy around 
housing affordability. Absolutely. The whole housing issue, I think, is so important, not only to make sure that we have houses for immigrants to rent and buy over the long term, but also just to maintain the positive public sentiment around high levels of immigration. Because we know that Canada's in a very lucky position that's probably rare in the developed world to have such overwhelming support for continued levels of high immigration. But if Canadians who've been here for generations struggle to find housing and if they struggle to access doctors, we know that it's often immigrants get blamed for the lack of supply. That would be really unfortunate. And we also know at the same time that if we want houses built, we need immigrants to come and be part of that labor market. If we want doctors and nurses and PSWs and people to work in our long-term care homes, we need to make sure that supply of skilled people that are dedicated to those professions can get their skills to work in Canada. I think Scotiabank feels very, very strongly that in order for Canada to be successful, all Canadians need to be successful. And so I think newcomers has been a real Canadian advantage. And I think it is becoming a bit more difficult, I think, to effectively include and integrate as many Canadians as are arriving here. And I absolutely take your point about the bit of the balancing act between needing newcomers and needing them to be successful and wanting them to be welcomed. But it's a win-win. Exactly. And I think there are so many examples, I think, that many of us see about how newcomers have been such substantial contributors to the communities, including in fantastic spaces like technology and in many of the compassionate parts of the economy. So I do hope that we as a country make employment easier to find, homes easier to buy, and that the healthcare system is there for everybody. Absolutely. Thank you very much for having this conversation with us. I know that we've had a great partnership together. Your organization plays a big role at helping newcomers be full members of Canadian society. So thank you for that. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Dan Reese, the Group Head of Canadian Banking at Scotiabank, in conversation with Claudia Hepburn, the CEO of Windmill Microlending. If you liked this chat, then be sure to check out the previous installment of our leadership series. That was a conversation about allyship between Scotiabank's Megan Terry and NYU law professor Kenji Yoshino. You can find that in our podcast feed, and we'll link to it in the show notes. The Perspectives podcast is made by me, Stephen Maurice, Armina Ligaya, and our producer, Andrew Norton. For a transcript of this episode, visit our website, scotiabank.com slash perspectives. We'll see you next time.